No, I am not Andrew Reemstra. Uh, he had a medical emergency, but a pinched nerve, and is unable to be here. I was supposed to be at Manville this morning. I got to Manville, and she said, but you're on vacation. I said, uh, no, that's not till week after next. She looked at me and said, but you told, I said, I said I wouldn't be there on the 21st, and that I'd be away for, so there was a mess up at Manville, and I got here, and Andy Rimsta, so the Holy Spirit strikes again. Let us come together and worship. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us stand and share a sign of peace with each other. Something's wrong. not hearing you too well. It's the mic there. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ, protect us, O God, for in you we take refuge. We say to the Lord, you are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom all is my delight. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Come, let us worship the Lord. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we prepare to celebrate together, with the help of God, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this Lord's Day. 
We come to the table to commune with our Lord. We come in awe and reverence, for the place where we stand is holy ground. Here the Lord offers us the manna of life. If we are to experience this celebration with our Lord and be nourished by the Spirit, let us examine ourselves first, then eat the bread and drink from the cup. The benefit is great if with penitent hearts and living faith we receive the Lord's Supper. Let us acknowledge our sin before our merciful God with full intention of amending our lives. Let us make restitution for all injuries and wrongs done to others. Let us forgive those who have offended us as we ourselves have been forgiven. All children of the covenant be reconciled with one another and then come joyfully to the banquet so that you may experience assurance of God's pardon and strengthening of your faith. Let us together confess our sins using the prayer of confession printed in the bulletin. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We are not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us to amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Therefore, in Christ we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not testify falsely against your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Roll away the stone from our ears and our eyes, that we may hear and see your truth for us in your word. Today it is read and preached. And remove any stoniness of heart, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first lesson 
is found in the first letter of Peter, the second chapter, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersation in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May his grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel lesson is found in the 16th chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 5th verse. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They said to one another, It is because we have brought no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said, You of little faith, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Do you not remember that five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How could you fail to perceive that I was not speaking about bread? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some said John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah. He said, Who do you say I am? Simon answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know what Andy was going to preach on about why the church, looking at the lesson from Peter, I have some ideas. But I'm going to preach instead on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit strikes again, which sounds like a strange title for a sermon. But think about it. A foul up and a misunderstanding about a scheduling and preaching. An unexpected injury. And here I am, and we're going to have communion on schedule. I don't think that's coincidence. I'm beginning to cease believing in coincidences when things like this happen. 
The Holy Spirit works in very strange and unusual and often disconcerting ways. We Sometimes in the Protestant tradition, we have difficulty with the Holy Spirit. Preaching about Jesus is easy. Preaching about God is easy. Preaching about the Holy Spirit gets us into an area that's a little uncomfortable, shall we say. Particularly, of course, in the Reformed tradition, which tends to be a rather discreet tradition of worship. We're not famous for loud exclamations during the sermon or loud shouts of praise or waving our hands about or dancing in the aisles, although Reformed congregations are beginning to take some of these other forms of worship into their sanctuaries and into their worship services. Nonetheless, some of us in the traditional Reformed tradition tend to become a little bit queasy about the Holy Spirit because we watch some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters And I'm not sure if we watch with awe, with envy, or sometimes, frankly, with a little bit of disgust. It just doesn't seem like quite the appropriate way to worship. After all, weren't we taught to sit quietly and fold our hands and bow our heads and let all the intrusive thoughts leave so we could properly concentrate on God and prayer? And here are these people who are celebrating the Holy Spirit by jumping around and shouting and sometimes rolling in the aisles and seeing visions. I think some of us have a little trouble with that. Traditions in the church have gotten us into trouble and are one of the reasons for divisions. Now, I realize that we had Pentecost and we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire And this is not a Pentecost Sunday, although we still have the Pentecostal red, and it is that period, the period of the church called, quote, ordinary time, end quote, the time between the great festivals. I don't like that word. I wish we could find some other word to denote the time between the festivals, because no time of God's is ordinary. But anyway, back to this thing called the Holy Spirit who does work in rather strange and, as I said, disquieting ways. Here I was muttering to myself all the way home from Manville that I'd made a trip for nothing, and all the way, I mean, you know, it's not terribly far. And here poor Joyce was kicking herself from pillar to post for fouling up things. I hope she has forgiven herself because I'm not mad at her. I feel the Holy Spirit, although we can't say the Holy Spirit causes foul-ups, the Holy Spirit is certainly involved in using them. I won't say that the Holy Spirit said to Joyce, okay, let's make a mistake on the schedule so that Nancy can be somewhere else. The Holy Spirit isn't quite that direct. Nonetheless, the Holy Spirit does work. How many times have you had a coincidence in your life, or something that tells you to go and do something that you weren't going to do, or get involved with something, or be somewhere that really wasn't on your agenda, and you found out when you got there that there was a great blessing or a great need. Whatever it was, 
I'm sure it was not coincidence. The Holy Spirit was directing you to go and do whatever that thing was that you were doing that you had not planned on doing. The Holy Spirit led me to Southern Methodist University and seminary. As you all know, I had fought years about, oh no, not going to seminary, God. No, not me. Take someone else. But it was not coincidence that landed me in the one graduate school where all the graduate students live on the seminary campus. Nor was it coincidence that my friends were seminarians and not anthropologists, even though I was in the anthropology department. Holy Spirit does very strange things with our lives. Now, there is a passage in another part of the Bible that talks about discerning the spirits. I interpret that to mean understanding when it is the Holy Spirit and when it is not, because there are oftentimes proddings we get that are not holy, and we can tell the difference. We know that sometimes we're prodded, oh, go ahead, pad your expense account a little bit. Nobody will know that you only spent four ninety-five dollars on lunch instead of five ninety-five. That's not the Holy Spirit, and we all know the difference between that. There are other times, however, when discerning the Spirit becomes a little bit more difficult. Is it the Holy Spirit telling us to do something, or is it someone else or some other force? One of the questions that's often asked for candidates in seminary and ordination is, how did you know that this is the life that is for you? And the answer often is, the Holy Spirit told me. And some of the questioners will push a little harder. How do you know it was the Holy Spirit and not some other force? In the case of some denominations, how do we know you're not just looking for security? There are denominations that once you are ordained, they guarantee that they will find a place for you. The RCA is not one of them, incidentally. On the other hand, you pay for that by not having your choice of going to the church you want. You get assigned. And it's a legitimate question for persons entering that kind of ministry. Are you truly called by God, or are you looking for a secure job, particularly in this environment? A fair question to ask a candidate. Now, candidates can't always come up with a coherent and clear answer, and that's not always expected either. What is expected is a thoughtful examination of one's motives. The Holy Spirit directs and guides, but often does it subtly, and it's hard sometimes for us to figure out. What is the Holy Spirit telling me? We can often identify those generous moments, and that is clearly the work of the Spirit, I think. The Spirit is alive and working in all of us. Now, Pentecostals, Pentecost sermons often talk about the Spirit as fire, and that's how it came, and emphasize the dangers as well as the delights of fire. Is the Holy Spirit dangerous? Yes, it is. Not to us, but to those around us. The Holy Spirit is dangerous to the non-believer and to the scoffer. Not that the Holy Spirit is going to come down and burn them with flames of fire, but the Holy Spirit is going to get in their way. The Holy Spirit is 
going to keep working on these people. Not always successfully, but still, the Holy Spirit is around trying to block some of the less generous impulses of some of our fellow human beings, not to mention our own less generous impulses. Uh, We have to examine our own hearts. After all, it is Communion Sunday, and none of us come to the table unblemished, and none of us should be pointing fingers at someone else. As the proverb says, when you point one finger at someone, four fingers are pointing at yourself. The Sermon on the Holy Spirit is not meant to discourage us. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. But the Holy Spirit is also the guide, the stirrer-upperer, and the disturber. The Jesuits have a saying that the Jesuit priest is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think that's a good motto for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit does indeed comfort us when we're afflicted. We don't always recognize it as the Holy Spirit's work, but the Holy Spirit works through the person who hugs us or sends a card or even a smile on a day when things just absolutely are in complete chaos or a day when somebody that you expect to be totally rude and nasty, uh, shall I pick on any state agency, for example, turns out to be delightfully polite and helpful and not throwing roadblocks in your way. Holy Spirit, I think, has entered into that person. We see evidence of the Holy Spirit all around us. We don't have to go jumping and bouncing and yelling, praise God, to have the Spirit. The Spirit is in us. After all, not all flames are bright and destructive. Look at the tiny little light in a tea light, for example, that you put under some of the warmers and in some of the ornamental candles. It's a small little glow, but it's very comforting. And the Holy Spirit can be that way, a constant perennial glow. Of course, the Holy Spirit can rage like a forest fire, and it does sometimes, as it should. There are times when the Spirit needs to come out, and when we need to be, maybe not dancing in the aisles and shouting hallelujah, but we need to be taking lots of aggressive action. The disciples had not yet received the Holy Spirit, And they were puzzled in this particular thing. They were talking, Jesus was talking about the yeast of the Pharisees, and the poor puzzled disciples thought he was saying, don't accept any yeast from the Pharisees when you make bread. And I have heard this interpreted by people. There are certain Christians who will not eat leavened bread because, after all, the scripture says, don't accept the yeast of the Pharisees. Well, Jesus, of course, makes it quite plain to his disciples that he's not talking about that. He's talking about spirituality, and he's asking them to beware of false spirituality. Jesus doesn't say it here, but the same thing, as I have said, applies to the spirit. Beware of the false spirit. Listen carefully to that guiding voice. Much of the time, it is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do the kingdom's work prompting you to recognize who it is that we worship. Occasionally, of course, it's not. We have to be careful. The Holy Spirit can be dangerous, but oh, what a delight it is as well. Can we control the Holy Spirit? No, we cannot. We never know where the Holy Spirit is going to show 
itself or what it's going to do or what manifestation it is. Like the rest of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is a partial mystery. We don't completely understand. We don't need to understand. And when asked how we know it was the Holy Spirit, we can answer quite firmly that it's our faith that tells us. Because as Peter's confession there, you are the Son of the living God. That confession that we all confess is the bedrock of our faith. With that confession, we can freely say we recognize the Holy Spirit. Without that confession, I don't think we can. The lections about the Holy Spirit are tied to faith. We cannot recognize the Holy Spirit without faith, nor can we live as we should without faith. We must be careful when we live our lives. It is so tempting to misuse this Holy Spirit, to use it as a club, to say to someone, the Holy Spirit told me that I have the truth and you don't. That's one of the voices that is not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate who the Spirit comes to. The Spirit sometimes comes to the most, quote, unworthy, end quote, people. Look at who Jesus used. Look at who God used in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity creature. I don't know what else to call the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not put a religious test before you, before coming. Okay, let's see. Do I need to work through this person? Well, this person uh, missed church three times, um, forgot to say prayers, isn't... Okay, I won't work through that person. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit comes to everyone. Our response is to be open to the working of the Spirit and allow the Spirit to lead us. Truly, the Holy Spirit is in this place. Let us open our hearts and our lives to recognize the Spirit's work in ourselves, in others, and in the world. Let us rejoice with Peter's confession, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, that Son of God sent us the Spirit, that the Spirit is with us, and the Spirit will never leave us. Amen. Let us pray. O God, Sometimes we wish you had not given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we find the Holy Spirit uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't feel that the Holy Spirit is with us at all, and we wonder, was it really given to us? Oh God, forgive our doubts. Remind us constantly of the presence of the Spirit and help us to work according to the Spirit that is leading us, the Spirit that you sent us. Amen. Let us rise and with Christians around the world and through the ages confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed as printed in the bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
He descended to the dead. And the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of sins, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.